Okay, I'm recording. All right, I'm going to read the thing. Read the thing. The January day dawned brightly as the citizens of Huaxiang began their work. The nearby Wei River, mighty tributary of the Yellow River, flowed by gently, its powerful waters irrigating the nearby fields and providing fishermen with their daily feasts. Beneath the regular tranquility, the deadliest earthquake in history began. The Wei River shook, its waters rushing frantically to the shores. The city of Huaxian braced themselves for a tremor, a common occurrence in the region, but the expected shaking dance of the earth never came. Instead, as if the planet itself had become a hateful demon, the ground cracked and broke with the sound of thousands of roaring beasts. Great yawning fissures opened under people's feet, swallowing houses whole, while landslide after landslide rippled across the ground, sweeping away and burying all caught in their wakes. New hills burst forth from the earth, mountains cracked, and the ground sank and became valleys. Rivers changed course, were instantly dammed or newly burst out of the ground. Stone houses, brick city walls, and marble temples collapsed as though they were sandcastles at high tide. Everywhere was primordial chaos, as though the land were trying to reshape thousands of years of weathering in a single instant. In only a few seconds, an 840-kilometer area was completely destroyed. Buildings were damaged as far away as Shanghai, over 1,300 kilometers away. More than the loss of buildings, though, was the sheer volume of lives lost. An estimated 830,000 people perished in the upheaval, landslides, and fires that followed. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, Relative Disaster University's Professor of Soil Liquefaction. And I'm her brother Greg, Relative Disaster's Imperial Faultline Consultant. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for that <laughs> horrifying story, Greg. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the 1556 Shangzi earthquake. Also called the Zhejiang earthquake, because in China, they name it after the emperor of the time. No kidding. Who was a card. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. In the West, it's called the 1556 Shangzi earthquake or Huajing earthquake. And in China, it is referred to as the Zhejiang Great Earthquake, as it happened during the reign of the Zhejiang Emperor of the Ming Dynasty. Well, it certainly was a great earthquake. It was a horrible earthquake. I read that it, this is the third deadliest disaster in history. Yes, and it is the deadliest earthquake in history. Really? Um, there have been earthquakes with higher magnitudes. Mm -hmm. There have been earthquakes that uh, have done more damage to buildings, but as far as the sheer loss of human life, this is it. Yikes. So, in order to get started with this guy, you kind of have to understand a couple of different things. What's most important is where this took place. So, the Shangxi province in China mm -hmm. is sort of central, I guess would be a, a decent way to describe it. It's it's sort of in the middle 
of the country, but a, a little bit to the east of the middle. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of a continental plate, okay? Right. So this isn't an earthquake that's caused by one plate moving into another and you get an earthquake. It's a type of phenomenon called a craton. Ooh. So a craton is the middle of a continental plate. They're old and they're stable. That's the important thing about cratons. They are completely stable. Except for this area. <laughs> because this area has a ton of fault lines. Mm-hmm. In fact, the the Way River is defined by two fault lines. And it's estimated that the 1556 quake struck on the Huashan Fault and then sort of ruptured other fault lines all along the Qinling Mountains. Oh, yikes. Yeah. And this is not a unique occurrence. Yeah. There were like 30 other earthquakes on that fault line. But... (laughs) Those were earthquakes of smaller magnitude, Mm -hmm. but this was not an unexpected phenomenon. Mm. And then this one came along. The best geological data that we have on it gives this earthquake a magnitude of 8.0 on the moment magnitude scale. That doesn't sound super strong to me. It's actually very strong, Mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, 8 is really, really strong, but it's not a 10. Right. Now, if you look at the Mercalli scale, it is an 11. Now, his scale goes from 1 to 12. 12 means that literally the land is reshaped and nothing that was there before remains. And this was an 11. I mean, didn't the whole river shift like five kilometers? There are a bunch of rivers in the area. Mm -hmm. And most of them either instantly became new rivers. Hey! Or their courses were dramatically changed. Very fresh look for the whole valley. Yeah, it it was it was a complete makeover <laughs> and not a welcome one. The thing about talking about this earthquake is really you've got to talk about it in two different ways. Mm-hmm. The first way is how amazing the science behind it is that you know you could have a shifting of earth in this manner occur this way and do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's the human cost, which was absolutely catastrophic. Incredibly violent, incredibly dangerous, yeah. And incredibly deadly. And in in some indications, as much as 60% of the population of the area was wiped out. Right, and this wasn't some, like, isolated area where nobody lived. These were major urban centers. Yeah, and I want to talk actually about how the architecture, how the local architecture contributed to that death toll. Well, in order to talk about the local architecture, we have to talk about what they had to build from. Yeah, let's talk about the dirt first. I took a deep dive (laughs) into this dirt and I learned maybe too much. (laughs) So Lois is amazing stuff. It certainly is. One of the coolest things about Lois is that it is the reason why the Yellow River is yellow. Ah, I didn't realize that. That's pretty cool. It's because it's full of Lois. (laughs) So, Ella, what is Lois? (laughs) Well, it's a word that means loose. It is yellow. It is, quote, the most erodible soil on Earth. It is very light and fluffy. It's great for growing things. So it does have a lot of nutrients in there, but it's very light. So Mm -hmm. the Lois Plateau which is the area where this earthquake happened, 
is just like hundreds of thousands of years of dust kind of piling into this valley. Yeah. It's a, got a great climate. It's like a semi-arid climate with a cold and dry winter and then a warm, wet summer. And it's just, you know, a really fertile place, easy to farm because it's nice and yep. light. And, you know, it's kind of considered one of the cradles of Chinese civilization. Yes. The dirt itself, it's not sand. It's it's silt. Right. It's a lot of silt that gets taken in. But instead of the silt staying in the river, it gets blown up onto the land where it collects with sand and it collects with clay. So it'll hold itself. It'll hold its shape. It'll hold itself in place. Right. And like you said, it's incredibly fertile. And the Shangxi province is just full of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's you can look at satellite shots and it shows like just these big swaths of yellow dirt. And that's all yeah. loose. And it's not desert. It, that's no, the it's thing that, definitely that's not desert. Yep. It's very fertile stuff. It's, you know, you can grow the, the things that you need to grow to survive in it. And what's most important for both living there and the horrific death toll of this earthquake is that you can live in it. Right. You can use it for building. And I took another deep dive down here because I secretly want a Yadong house, which is what you can build with this kind of rammed earth loess. Yes. You dig out a central courtyard and then you can dig these kind of tunnel-like caves off to one side, or you can also use any natural formations that you find. Yep. They have arch tops. Uh, they're very cool in the summer, and you can have your livestock and your crops growing right above you, so you're not wasting any land putting up a house. Yeah. People build them with terraces, so they're kind of open on one side. And you can also finish them out with things like mud brick, wood, or like a stone screen work. They're really very pretty, and yeah. you can stay in an Airbnb if you want to. <laughs> um, and and Yaodongs are like, they're... I think the word I'm looking for is incredibly utilitarian. Like they, Yes, they're not they fancy. Are, they're not fancy, but they accomplish so much. Because you're digging into this sort of silt, sand, and clay mixture, mm -hmm. even in a rainstorm, your house will hold together. Even in a windstorm, your house will pretty much hold together. Mm -hmm. The dirt is an, an incredibly effective insulator. Right. So when it's cold outside, you're warm inside. And when it's hot outside, you're cool inside. Which is what you want. We're humans. We're never happy with the climate. Exactly. What's neat is that since around 2006 or so, a lot of civil engineers have been looking at how Yaodongs are constructed and how they work architecturally mm -hmm. as an example of sustainable design. Right. And they're incredibly energy efficient because yes. once you heat up one of your little underground rooms, the dirt will hold in the heat. Like you said, there it's a lot of really effective insulation. Yeah. So as long as you've closed off your door, you're nice and cozy. And the people in the Shangzi region lived in Yaodongs. Huge, huge communities of Yaodongs. Right. And the maps that I'm looking at, you would kind of have like a large family dwelling. And then like as children marry, if they want to stay around, you kind of put some more rooms off the courtyard so they're very flexible in a way yep. you can build onto them very easily you can brick up parts that you're not using uh it's just a really nice sustainable kind of 
eco-friendly, community-friendly way to live. Yeah, and it's not like it's incredibly hard construction either. You know, if you if you and your wife find yourselves having a baby, you can just dig out the baby's room. You don't have to hire a carpenter to come in and make another room on your house. Right. When you look at plans, one of the things that strikes you is like, I could do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have a shovel. <laughs> I could make myself a yodang. <laughs> but what you need for it is you need a lot of this loose. Yes. It doesn't work with our dirt. The no. dirt that we have here. <laughs> we have rocks in our dirt, and that doesn't that doesn't help. What wound up happening is that on the morning of January twenty third, fifteen fifty six, as as the Julian calendar reckons it, mm-hmm. in the Gregorian calendar it was actually February second, and of course in the Chinese calendar it was the twelfth day of the twelfth month of the year Zhejing thirty four. Wow. Or Xiaojing? If I'm pronouncing this guy's name wrong, I apologize to all our listeners in China. But that's okay, because apparently nobody likes this emperor anyway, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And what wound up happening was the entire earthquake estimates range at it lasting significantly less than a minute. Some some contemporary sources had it at just a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Some had it at almost 30 seconds. But... If you can imagine the entire earth just cracking and splitting and upheaving and falling in on itself in such a short period of time. I mean, this was this was one of those occasions where even the people who knew what to do during earthquakes just had no time to react. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it did was it completely caved in these Lois buildings. Right. So all these Yaodongs that were people's homes were all of a sudden under tons of dirt and hundreds of thousands of people died in seconds. It's pretty horrible to think about. And we can't really contemplate that. Like it's, it's very hard to think about mass death happening quickly. We usually think about mass death as an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a, a disaster hits and over time, the mass death sort of piles up. And this was like, you know, a snap of the fingers and 830,000 people were just gone. Sure, whole communities are wiped out. Um, the entire city of Huaxian... Yeah, it just gets swallowed up. The entire city of Huaxian was just gone. They were saying that there were 20 meter deep crevices just mm. opening everywhere. So it's not like, you know, a sinkhole. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's the whole ground. It's the whole ground away. is just gone. <laughs> Horrifying. It is. And there was a, a scholar named Kin Kida who lived through the earthquake. And he had this wonderful quote that said, you know, the house is not as important as the people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quote is, even if the nest has collapsed, some eggs must remain intact. Oh, That's a nice way of looking. That is a really nice way of looking at it. So all these homes were built into the Lois. Right. And when those cliffs and those plateaus collapsed, they caused landslides. Because um, it's important to it's important to point out that, you know, in the cities themselves, people were making their homes out of, you know, stone and wood and things like that. Mm-hmm. It was in the plateau that they were making these, these Yaodongs. So what winds up happening is when the plateau is completely collapsed by the earthquake, 
it creates this massive landslide. So all the people in the Yaodongs are killed and mm-hmm. swept down the hill, which wipes out the city because that entire plateau just landslides right through Huashan. Mm-hmm. So all the people with their, you know, their houses of stone and wood are destroyed as well. There is a very famous pagoda in Xi'an, mm-hmm. which is, it, it's the capital of the Shanxi province. Uh, it's one of the oldest cities in China. It's a really, really interesting city. It's one of the four great ancient capitals. Oh, no kidding. And it has this really, really beautiful pagoda called the Small Wild Goose Pagoda. Mm. It was... I like it already. <laughs> oh, Small Wild Goose is really cool. The Small Wild Goose Pagoda was built in 652, mm-hmm. but then it had to be restored in the early 700s. And it was 45 meters tall. <laughs> now keep in mind that this this pagoda was not in the city that the earthquake hit. It's 100 kilometers away from Huajian. And it's 45 meters tall? That's quite a quite a tall oh, building. Yeah. It's a tall it's it's a well it was 45 meters tall. Oh dear. It is now 43 meters tall because the earthquake <laughs> shook two levels of it into the ground. Oh yikes. Yep. Oh, that is that is I don't know why that sounds so much more horrifying than right? collapse. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a slight sinking. <laughs> yeah, but it's still like but it was Ooh. also I mean that's over a hundred kilometers away. Oh, that's incredible. And it, and it drops the height of the small wild goose pagoda. Mm. There are other things. The um you know, the aftershocks of this were so powerful that they were damaging buildings as far away as Chengdu, which is 800 kilometers away, mm-hmm. Beijing, which is 1,000 kilometers away, and Shanghai, which is 1,300 kilometers away. And they go on for quite some time, don't they, the aftershocks? The aftershocks linger for a couple of weeks. Ooh. There were also a lot of disruption off of the coast mm-hmm. of China. It would be the equivalent of having an earthquake hit in... Idaho mm-hmm. and having buildings breaking in Maine and having fishing boats in the Atlantic coast getting thrown around. I can't wrap my mind around that. It was gigantic. Wow. So the the death toll was astronomical. It is the deadliest earthquake in human history. Mm-hmm. As I said, this was not an uncommon occurrence. There were a number of earthquakes around this site and in fact there are still earthquakes around this area in china today so the area in which the zhejiang earthquake happened Mm -hmm. just in from 1900 to the year 2000 has had 12 earthquakes 12 of greater than 6.0 magnitude oh that's too many yeah the only other point that i wanted to make about the yaodongs is that the kind of damage that occurs in earthquakes in terms of soil changes. Yeah. This area would have been particularly susceptible because the loess is like a, it's like a loose soil that also holds a lot of water. Okay. So I, I ended up looking at like soil liquefaction, which is yeah. <laughs> this super interesting branch of like soil mechanics. Okay. Liquefaction refers to the way that sand compresses when you apply pressure to it. Okay. The demonstration that I watched, you had like a, a 
Tupperware container of sandy soil and you just bang it on the table. And within a few bangs, a weight will sink in and anything that's buried in the soil that's lighter than the soil will come up. And the water will also kind of collect around any objects that are in the soil. So the, the whole structure of the Yadongs and the materials in them actually made them really, really susceptible to this kind of earthquake damage. And anyone who was in them just would not have had a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is incredibly sad to it's, think about. And it's one of those things where it's it's almost hard to imagine. I think because the magnitude is so big. Yeah. It's, it's like a disaster that just goes on and on and on. And it's almost hard to get your head around yeah. the amount of human suffering. And it's just a matter of, like, imagine your entire house and all of the houses in your city collapsing at the same time. Not just collapsing, turning to mud yeah. and falling down around you. Yeah. Because that's what would have happened with the soil liquefaction. Uh, oh, I just... Yeah, it's that's a terrifying thought. It's horrifying, and I, I am a big fan of Yodongs. I think they're amazing. Yeah. I just It does give me pause that <laughs> they can turn to mud and fall down around people. Don't build them on a fault line. Or, if you possible. know, put up a really strong wallpaper inside and maybe have an escape pod. <laughs> uh, sure. I'm sure it can be. I'm sure that they can be reinforced in a way that will make them safer. Um, I just was not able to find any sources on how people are doing that now. Okay. And I would assume they would because this area still, as you said, still oh, has yeah. earthquakes. Oh, yeah. And it still has Yaodongs. Um, not, obviously not as many. Um, in fact, after, after the earthquake, most of the stone buildings that have been leveled were actually replaced they started to build sort of the first earthquake proofing, mm-hmm. earthquake proofed buildings that they could, making things out of softer, more earthquake resistant materials such as bamboo and lighter woods. Because mm-hmm. the problem is, if you have a stone building in an earthquake, it'll shake itself apart because it's very rigid and right. it's trying to hold its shape. A bamboo structure will bend and and move with the earthquake. So if you just have something yeah. on the on the four, five, six of the scale then, you know, that will survive that. If you if you get hit with another 8 to 8.2 like this one was estimated, it's mm-hmm. going to fall down no matter what. But at least you've got lighter things falling on your head, I guess? I don't know. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it is. And I want to say that people are rethinking in terms of earthquake safety and in terms of energy efficiency and eco-friendliness. Yeah. Because this is a form of traditional architecture yeah. that... People are still building, and uh, modern Chinese architects are kind of embracing it as a traditional form. Okay. So it's been around for a while. It will probably continue to be around for a while. And I'm interested to hear about how they're making it a little safer than the structures that we're talking about tonight. Yeah. Um, So I do want to talk a little bit about mythology for a quick second here. Ooh, because this does sound a little cursy, I have to tell you. It does sound a little cursy, and one of the things is that... Not just in the Ming Dynasty, but in the... So, in the imperial era of China, the emperor was the son of heaven. And the way that it worked was basically, if good things happened during your reign, they happened because you were a good person. Mm. If bad things happened during your reign, they happened because you were a bad person. And Jia Jing... I mean... Uh, there's... There's a lot to this guy. So he was born Zhu Haokong, and he was not at all in the line of secession. Ooh. 
Do we have some scandals? No, no scandals actually with this, except for one one big one that we wouldn't consider a scandal today, but was absolutely scandalous back in the day. Mm. Um, basically, he was, you know, he was one of those people who was 90th in line for the throne, but everybody above him died. Um, I think he was... I, oh, I think honey. He was actually, I think he was the fourth son of the previous emperor by his second concubine. Hmm. I think that sounds pretty low on the list. It's very low on the list, but then the emperor's son died without leaving an heir. Mm-hmm. And so the emperor's son was emperor for a couple minutes. Uh, it went from the Hongxi emperor to the Zhengde emperor, but the Zhengde emperor died without leaving an heir. So the next one in line was Zhu Haokong. Hmm. So the problem was you're not allowed to be emperor unless your parents were imperial and his weren't. So the custom of the time was that you would be posthumously adopted by the previous emperor. <laughs> That's adorable. It's it's wonderful. I really like that. But he refused. Ah. And instead, he had his parents posthumously elevated to an imperial rank. And that made lots of people very, very angry and concerned for the will of heaven and all sorts of things. I mean, it does sound a little bit like he cut in line or he had his parents cut in line for him, which is yeah, arguably worse. A little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all of these opponents, he had either flogged in front of the imperial court, executed or banished. Oh, he's that kind of emperor. I he's gotcha. that kind of emperor. I got gotcha. So he also was a... He was sort of a very hands-off, kind of a laissez-faire emperor, um, (laughs) relying on other people to handle the affairs of state and all this other stuff. Well, he wore himself out from all that punishment. Well, but that's the other thing. He did not actually wear himself out because he was was called at the time a cruel and self-aggrandizing emperor. Hmm. Normally, emperors live in what translates to the Forbidden City in Beijing. Mm Mm-hmm. The cleaner translation means more like you're not allowed to go there because it's the emperor's house kind of a thing. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, it's the forbidden city. It's like, no, 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 this is his house. Anyway, he refused to live there. He wanted to live in isolation, so he did. And he abandoned the practice of seeing his ministers for like a period of 25 years, mm-hmm. communicating only through like his messengers and such. So only a handful of people ever saw him during these 25 years, which leads to, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play behavior. So Mm. all levels of the Ming government got absolutely corrupt, but he was smart enough to control the corruption. He was smart enough to cut a deal with Altan Khan of the Mongols to stop harassing his people. But he, in his private life, was a pretty nasty dude. He, um preferred prepubescent girls. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, ick. Yep, yep. Yeah, no. And part of that led to his concubines and palace maids attempt to assassinate him. I mean, I'm with them on that one because that is is disgusting behavior and, and I don't like it at all. His belief was he had two elixirs um, Hmm. that would give him eternal life. Well, not eternal life, but extended life. He wanted the menstrual blood from his virgin palace maids. And if they refused, they were executed. And then the other was the aforementioned grossness with minors. 
so what this led to was called the Renyin Plot, where <laughs> the maids and his concubines had enough, and they held down his arms and legs while the lead palace maid tried to strangle him with the ribbons in her hair. <laughs> That's so metal. I love that. It was so great, except... It didn't work, did it? Yeah. I, apparently what wound up happening was that the... the it just made him mad. <laughs> the ribbon around his neck became knotted. Oh, no. So it couldn't tighten around his neck. And then, of course, the guards burst in and everybody gets executed. And executed in really brutal, gross ways. Yep. And then he goes into uh, his period of suppressing Buddhism by burning temples and driving the Buddhists out. And consuming potent elixirs prepared for him by Taoist priests. Yeah, I bet. Out of, out of rare minerals. And this is what <laughs> killed him, okay? Because he was drinking potions made of mercury. <laughs> hey, there it is. However, however, <laughs> he reigned for 45 years. I mean, mercury is a very slow-acting poison. And he had all those other elixirs to balance it out, so. No, uh, once they started... <laughs> giving him the mercury elixir he actually died pretty quickly um i should hope so god <laughs> but yeah 45 years uh which is the second oh. longest reign in the ming dynasty and then wow. his son who was called the long king emperor came in and had this wonderful like stable not gross you know pretty decent guy oh kind of kind of reign they say it skips a generation you know well, here it it did because he only he only ruled for five years. Mm. Uh, he he introduced all this all this stability and all these like he retook control of the court. He got rid of the corruption. He made more peace treaties with the Mongols. He did he did great, but he was he died at the age of thirty five. Oh, and it's not long enough after only reigning for five years. And then his son Jia Jing's grandson takes over who is Wan Li, and Wan Li takes over at the age of 10. As you do. Which goes well for no one. Oh dear, yeah. And he's a horrible person again. So the the theory that, you know, if you are a good emperor, you know, gigantic, horrible events don't happen during your reign, and if you're a bad one, they do, kind of holds out here. I um, mean, let's just look Jia at the Jing evidence. was a bad dude. He was yeah. not a good person, and the most devastating earthquake of all time happens on his watch. Uh, but I would like to point out that it was not yeah. just the earthquake. The earthquake occurred after a couple years of famine and drought, and yes. after the earthquake, a plague swept central China yep. and took like a few years to resolve. There's some indication that they may have been not related, but exacerbated by the other. Yep. The, the drought dries out the the, the loess a little mm -hmm. bit more so that it's m even more i mean it was going to landslide anyway with an you know an 8.0 earthquake yeah but i'm but sure it didn't help it, di it certainly didn't help <laughs> it didn't improve anything and what also didn't improve anything is the fact that because of the earthquake of course food supply lines become completely disrupted and crops are completely lost mm -hmm. and so you get starvation and then when you get a bunch of starving people who've survived a natural disaster, the next thing that usually hits is a disease that takes hold and there's no infrastructure to, to combat it. And so you get a, a countrywide plague. 
So this is all pretty much his fault. This is all the emperor's bad mojo. I, I'm okay with saying that. Yeah, I think, okay. I think it lines up with the mythology that if you have a bad emperor, bad things happen. Um, and I think this bears out. <laughs> I mean... Because this guy was gross. Yeah. This guy was really gross. And having a massive... The worst earthquake in history to kill the most people happen mm-hmm. on your watch. And his response to it... Give me some more mercury. Well, from what we understand, actually, from, from the time period, his response to it was basically, eh, stuff happens. I mean, he's not wrong, but... Because <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't affect him at all. Right. You know, his, his palace was way away from where, they, where the earthquake happened. So, and it you was know, above ground. And it was above ground, and he understood that some of his subjects had died, and that was very sad for them, but it didn't affect him in any way, so he went back to drinking mercury. Anyway... As you do. So that's Zhe Jing. Now, also, a, a small side note. Uh, mm-hmm. 1556 also saw Gaspar de Cruz, who was a Dominican friar from Portugal. Oh, I love this guy. He visited Guangzhou yes, in he did. 1556. And he wrote this book called A Treatise of China. That book is not in the public domain. I was it so angry not, about that. Which is weird. I mean, obviously the copyrights expire. Uh, yeah. (laughs) It was written before 1925. (laughs) It was, yes, a little bit. So, Gaspard de Cruz viewed that the earthquake was a punishment for people's sins. Well, okay, I don't think it was people's so much as it was judging's. Yeah, (laughs) it was like one really bad person. Which and I guess is can what kind happens. of snowball. Yeah. I don't know how that yeah. works. Well, I mean, if you have a really, really horrible human being at the head of government, it does trickle down to everybody else eventually, right? I mean, if you have a guy who does not care if 830,000 of his people die in a massive tragedy, then, yeah, they're just going to die and nothing good comes of any of this, you know? So the quote that I have is that, um, about this earthquake, is that... <laughs> He talks about it as some kind of punishment from God, which the Chinas received in the year of 56. And yes. the direct quote is, a filthy abomination, which is that they are so given to the accursed sin of unnatural vice, which is Ooh. in no way reproved among them. I mean, so, <laughs> in fairness, at that point, uh, they viewed everything as unnatural vice. But, you know. I mean, I would love to know what a... I would love Portuguese, to know what his source was. <laughs> Portuguese yeah. Dominican friar traveling in China in Did the Gaspar medieval times. Did Gaspar de Cruz meet <laughs> Xie <Zheng? laughs> What kind of standards are we working with here? I mean, where, yeah. Where are your, where are your, where where your are high your bars and your low bars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah really. <laughs> I mean, is it just that they, you know... Because if he actually met Xie Zheng, I have no problem with this at all. <laughs> right. I'm just picturing him like being out, traveling along the Silk Road and meeting people and yeah. somehow developing this opinion that there was all this unnatural vice. And well, you know, when you got unnatural vice, this is what happens. And he also, there was a comet that passed in 1556. Yeah. He, and he, put that he in viewed too. that as a sign of this coming and also perhaps as a sign of the birth of the Antichrist. So, you know, crazy well. going to crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I like being able to point at comets and saying, it's the Antichrist. Right? Like, I mean, it's fun for everyone. It really is. It really anyway. is. So the the end result 
of this earthquake, all of the improvements after the fact had to be done on the local scale. Because as we said, uh, the imperial scale noted that it happened, mm-hmm. uh, said it was a bad thing. My favorite quote of this Oh, I'm is, glad they clarified. I was thinking it might have been, you know. So hold on, hold on. In the annals of China, it mm-hmm. is described in this manner. Quote, in the winter of 1556, an earthquake catastrophe occurred in the Shangzi and Shangji provinces. In our Hua County, various misfortunes took place. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> I want to say that's a like a translation fuzziness. But... <laughs> I feel like that's a translation because I, I think it's probably closer to like, you know, all of these other horrible things happened. But at the same time, to categorize it as various misfortunes. I mean, it... That's a powerful phrase. I'm not going to take away from that, but uh, it doesn't seem to be uh, enough. No, no. Especially when you consider that the aftershocks from this continued for several times a month for the next six to seven months uh, of that year. Like, oh, God. And every time you got one of those aftershocks, you just you just know you were thinking, here comes another big one. So these poor, traumatized people who have survived this incredibly horrible and deadly disaster are the same people who are rebuilding? The 40% that survived it are trying to rebuild, and they keep getting these aftershocks. Yeah. Jeez. Yep. So, I mean, really, the the best thing that came out of it was that it did make the Shangxi province stronger in terms of their building materials. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, they 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 went above ground. Well, no, they still made Yaodongs, um, but they they were no longer quite so densely populated, I guess. Hmm. So instead of, you know, 15 families living on one cliffside, it would be like five. Although, again, this is the horrible thing. It's really hard to tell from the sources whether that's because they spread out or because... Everyone was dead. The other ones were all dead, exactly. Yeah. But they started to adapt different building materials, uh, mm-hmm. again, using bamboo and uh, softer woods. And they kept an eye on the fault lines that formed the boundaries of the Way River Basin. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there were 26 other earthquakes mm. that had their epicenters in that basin. So they knew that this stuff kept happening. Mm-hmm. So they tried their best to, uh, to sort of budget for the future there. They figured out different ways to monitor and get alarms out quicker. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, when it's over in seconds, there's not a lot of alarm that's going to help you. Yeah, that's what's really terrifying about earthquakes. You don't know when yep. they're going to happen. They're very violent and very fast. You don't know which way to go. Yep, yep. It's, uh, it's horrifying, yeah. And in these cases, you know, even the shelter-in-place rules that you want to follow during an earthquake, you know, get under a door jam or whatever, mm-hmm. wouldn't have done anything. Right. Right. Yeah. So, <sighs> so advice for time travelers. If you're going to go back to 1556. Check the emperor. Make sure his scandals are under control. Yeah. Maybe don't, maybe, maybe, maybe help the maids in the Renyan plot. Definitely help the maids. Definitely, <laughs> Definitely make sure that the their maids. ribbons are in good order and they can strangle yes. effectively because and that that's just. not easily. Yeah. That breaks that, my heart. Uh, yeah. Uh, they came so close, guys. They came so close. You gotta put your uh, and, full heart into it, and you have to have those good ribbons. And it's not like they were the first people to try to assassinate an emperor for being horrible. They oh, just, 100% they, oh I God. believe that. <laughs> they were just the ones who got caught. <laughs> Maybe oh, add no. extra mercury to his uh, potions. 
we'll say. Yeah, just top them off. Yeah, top them off. A little extra mercury. Bring a little mercury back with you. Bring some thermometers. Bring some. Tasty. Yeah. He loves it. But other than that, I really the only thing I can think of is stay out of the uh, of the Shangxi area because nowhere in it is going to be safe. If you're going there in January of 1556, whether you are on top of a mountain or in you know five towns over from where it happened, you're still gonna get shaken to the ground in the earthquake. Could you do like a boat on the river? Uh, I would definitely not recommend that. Okay. Uh, that just means you're gonna die wet. Hey, it was a thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, remember that they had they had ships off the coast of China uh, get capsized and dropped. Aren't you safer in an earthquake slash tsunami situation if you are like in your boat way out on the water? I guess that doesn't apply to rivers, though, does it? No, not so much. But while you're there, stick around to watch the people construct the Yaodongs. That's got to be amazing. Yeah. Because here's the thing. There are Lois Cliffs mm-hmm. in yeah Vicksburg, Mississippi. No kidding. So you could bring that those techniques back to make some... Nice, eco-friendly, low-cost housing for the nice folks of Vicksburg, Mississippi. And if you don't like Mississippi, there are Lowe's deposits also in western Iowa and eastern Washington. Very well researched. Thank you. Yes. I learned a lot. I, I enjoyed this one, you know, relatively. Relatively. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster discussion experience possible. Uh, If you'd like to read more about our sources, we have a complete bibliography waiting for you in our show notes. And if we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disaster at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, please do use our (laughs) use our Instagram (laughs) at relative.disasters. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My sister has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Ella? So we're going to move from the third deadliest disaster in history to a disaster in which nobody dies. Um, okay. But it is still completely fascinating. Okay. It is the very short, very dangerous flight of Lawn Chair Larry. Oh, golly. Well, that sounds like fun, and I can't wait to talk about it with you.